One of the joys that I have um, of being here and loving you guys so much is that uh, the, the trick is, the problem is never to figure out something to preach on a Sunday or a Wednesday. The Word is so rich, there's always more than we can ever get to. My heart as a pastor is to figure out what the something is that we need to talk about. Um, I want to just take just a minute and I want to read to you uh, from our app. I want to read to you a few of the sermon titles of the recent sermons. Losing takes no effort. How if we do nothing, we lose the standard. The tame gospel. Setting the standard. Ambassadors for Christ. We are the standard. Be on guard. Don't lose the standard. (laughs) Critical mass. Ready, set, go. Perspectives. Secret holiness. Bittersweet. Tightrope and parking lot. If you've been here... Um, then hopefully some of these are, are, are coming to mind and you can remember at least parts of the sermon. On your mark, fine adjustments. It's plumb some. Proselytize. Young men. You had one job. <laughs> from Dennis Pence in January, the father's business. The day of small things from Zechariah. Heart and soul. Approval addiction. (laughs) A confidence sandwich. The biggest loser. Stand and sacrifice. Character versus caricature. In common is uncommon. Building blocks. I've read to you every sermon title from this past Wednesday all the way back to the 1st of December. You may not be able to tell it because of the titles. Maybe you don't remember all of that. Uh, Most of these I can rifle through and tell you the key points of what it was because they've impacted me. Really what we've said for the last, oh, at least four months is, hey guys, there's a standard. (laughs) That's basically been the singular message of what everyone has spoken. Hey, there's a standard. How do you get ready to go towards the standard? Don't lose the standard. Don't forget about the standard. Hey guys, there's a standard. Don't change the standard. Um, If you haven't gotten that message yet, you just hadn't been here enough and you hadn't been paying attention. Right? So what what I want to talk on today is, today is March 20th, 2016, and what we're going to talk about today is following at a distance. Following at a distance. I'm going to presume that at this point, after four months of teaching, that we know that there is a standard, that it is the Word of God, and we have no right to change it, to modify it, to do anything but come up to the standard. Amen. There was a prophecy that was given to us as pastors, and the, the, the picture, the word that came to us was there was a standard. There was this line, this line of demarcation, and that we as pastors were pressed back up against it, and we were calling people to come up to the standard. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging to me as a pastor. When I look back now at the the sermon titles, you know what that tells me? It's what we were already starting to do. God confirmed it in us, and then He's been talking to us about it for another hundred days or so. If God is taking that much time to speak to us, I think that we should be paying attention, yes? Um, Some churches like to have a sermon series, right? We're going to do a series, and you announce it ahead of time, and it's four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. Um, I'm going to say that the sermon series... For Life Changing Ministries for the past four months has been 
standard. So now what? There is a standard and we must all live up to it. Amen. So what does that look like? How do we, what does that mean in my job? What does that mean on the decision, with the decisions that I make? What does that mean everywhere that I go? How do we actually do that? Amen, pastor. Yes, there's a standard. You've beat it into our brains for the last four months. I'm not sure how to take what you're saying. Yes, I believe you. And I'm not sure how to do this in real life. Because just because we uh, assent to the fact that it's true doesn't mean that the truth is taking effect in our life. Just because we say we agree with you. That's great. We hear you. You said it 47 different ways. Doesn't necessarily mean that we are actually in and ourselves coming up to the standard. And it actually is not good enough that most of us come up to the standard. As a pastor, I don't want most of us fulfilling their walk with the Lord. My heart is that all of us. My heart is that not one of us in this room will be lost from what we're supposed to do. Not one. If you're a visitor today, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. We don't want you to be lost. We not only don't want you to be lost, we want you to come up to the actual standard that the God of all creation has said and set forth because if He set it as a standard, then He will empower us to meet that standard. But we can't do it our way. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. I want to I jump right into it here. Joshua chapter 3. This is going to be our home base for the day. We'll start here. We'll go other places. We'll come back a little bit. And we're just going to do four verses in Joshua chapter 3. Verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are the Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of around a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Amen. I feel like we can close the Bible and be done. Because you guys are, are Bible students. So you're already, you're, already, you're already sensing where we're going. Okay, we're about, they're about to, the, the children of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan River. Moses led the people and they crossed the Red Sea. Not the Reed Sea, not a puddle of water. Regardless of how many Bible scholars want to tell you that it actually wasn't a sea because that's too impossible for God to do. If it's too impossible, (laughs) He can do kind of a miracle. No, they crossed the Red Sea. He made a way. There was a highway there prepared for them that He pulled back the water and they walked through on dry ground just like they were supposed to. Reminds me of Isaiah 35. There's a highway and the righteous will walk. God is going to show that He is with Joshua just like He was with Moses. Later on it says, hey, I'm going to show this day. I'm going to start transferring some of this authority to you, Joshua. They're going to see you do things that only Moses had done before. It's going to change people's heart because we see you leading. It's going to be, they're going to see that it's the same pattern that Moses set out. 
here in just a minute, the, the priests are going to go out and they're going to stand in the middle and the water's going to part and they're going to walk through on dry ground just like they had done before with the Red Sea, but now through the Jordan River. So there's the backdrop. But after three days, verse 2. After three days. Huh. Three days. Distance between life and death. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. They didn't politely request it of them. They didn't suggest it to them with all the appropriate pleasantries that go along with that. One of the things I do love about Africa is everywhere you go, if you go into a new village, they want to, you have to stand there and they all sing and dance for you. It is the most incredible and beautiful thing ever. I love, as a, as a musician, I love the sound of Africa. It's crazy. I can't even explain it to you. There is a sound that is Africa. Man, I love it. God, I love it. And you stand there and they, they do it. And you stand there and you accept it because it is their offering to you. You don't play on your phone. You don't fidget around. You stand there and look at them and they may sing to you for 10 minutes at a time. Yep. And you stand and you receive it all because it is their gift to you. It, it is exactly what they're presenting to you. Here we have uh, the officers going through giving orders to the people. There are a lot of pleasantries as after they sing and dance for you, then they want to introduce you to the chief. Yeah. And everyone stands there and, this, this is Pastor Wade. This is Pastor Eric. And they go down, they introduce all of you, and you greet the chief of the, of the village because this is an honor. They have brought out their highest-ranking official to you. And there are pleasantries that go on. This is not what's going on here. (laughs) This is not a show. Ah, let's have the procession. Amen. There are times for that. And there's a lot of things that the Bible can teach us about a procession when our great king comes in. But here, this is not that. Are you waiting on a procession to announce before you're supposed to do the next thing? This is, they're about to go and do an incredible, they're going to see God move incredibly. You know what they didn't do? They didn't have a lot of fanfare. After three days, they sent the officers to go around and what did they tell them? What did they command? They gave orders to the people. Some of us are taking the word of God much too, uh, too lightheartedly in our own lives. We'll never say it. That's not what we're going to say because we're at... Life-changing ministries, this is what we do. Now, I'm not talking collectively here. I'm talking individually for a minute. The Lord gives us orders. We're supposed to follow them. Amen. In Timothy, it talks about it gives us different examples. And one of the examples it gives is of a soldier. He gives a, a metaphor. It gives us a picture so we can wrap our brain around it. What are we supposed to be responding like? Like a soldier. Does a good soldier stand there and refute question, talk about, get clarification upon their instructions. You see the general command and people just say yes. And they go do it. This is what's going on here. Giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, we have to have our eyes fixed on His standard. And in this part of the sermon, you can insert the last four months worth of teaching. When you see, when you see, in other words, you have to be looking for it. 
You have to understand that God is going to be doing something with His standard, that He's going to be moving. Keep your place here and turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 36, right at the end of Exodus. Exodus 40, 36. It says this. In all of the travel, everybody say all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. You know what they had to be doing because of that? They had to be watching for what was going on above the Ark of the Covenant. They would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night. Was in the cloud. Somehow it just transforms as dusk is coming upon it. (laughs) It's cloud and then it's fire. In the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. So do you realize this happened every day? It transformed from a cloud to a fire at night. It protected them from the sun in the day. It gave them light at night. You know what that also means to me? It doesn't matter because when it got up and got ready to move, whether day or night, they were expected to respond. Even at night. Why? Because they have the light. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Day or night. They were expected to keep their eyes on this. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 32. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in the cloud by day. What is the the cloud and the fire doing? It's interesting how it says it here. To search out places for you to camp. To search them out for you. And to show you the way you should go. Some of us are having some questions about in our lives right now what we're supposed to be doing of how these things are supposed to be working out. Lord, we've got the big picture. We want to serve you. Yes. Amen. All my heart. I don't know what that means for today. Yes, Lord. Ah, yes. I want to be able to live and die for you, whether by cloud or by fire. Yes. What does that mean for today? How do I go from today to yes, forever for your standard? What am I supposed to do now about my job? What am I supposed to do now about teaching school to my kids? What am I supposed to do now about where I'm supposed to live? What about today? Let's go back to Joshua. That same fire, that same cloud is actually searching things out for you to show you the exact way that you're supposed to go. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, when you see it, we have our eyes fixed on His standard. And the priests who are the Levites. (laughs) I think it's a little bit interesting just in my little brain. The priests who are the Levites. Just in case there was any confusion. (laughs) They all knew that, right? (laughs) These are the people that you're supposed to be watching. You know what you're supposed to be watching? His standard... And the priests. This can sound very self-serving because in our church, there are a few who are operating in this role as a priest. We're supposed to keep our eye on the standard and our leaders. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, 
Verse 7. It says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Why? Why does God say to remember? Because you know what's easy? We are forgetful creatures. Even the best among us. Even the ones with the most impeccable memory. You know what God has in us? We are, we are forgetful creatures. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We are just forgetful. So he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Are you living a life that is worthy of being imitated? In every way. How you handle your marriage. How you handle your children if you have them. How you handle your finances. How you handle things when the pressure is on. How you, think, how you handle things when things are going really well. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what's interesting? We quote verse 8 a lot. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you understand the context that he's saying this in? <laughs> if Jesus can do it with some knuckleheads like us, yeah. amen. amen. <laughs> if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he can work in our lives, surely he can work in yours. That's right. Amen. Surely he can work in yours. There's no, God is no respecter of persons. He assigns us our role and we, func- and we function in it. He gives us the strength to do it. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. This should feel like a review for many of us. There's not many scriptures that I'm going to hit in this first part that we haven't been covering for the last four months. If it's still a surprise to you, if I can say Hebrews 13.7 and you don't yet have that memorized or at least have an understanding of where we're going, shows that we have some room for growth still. Philippians 3.17, it says this, Join with others in following my example. Brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Take note. Pastor Eric, in one of the recent sermons, you know why we are supposed to take note of those who are following the pattern? Because they're exemplars. They're models. You know why? Because not everybody's doing it. He doesn't say take note of all the ones who aren't doing it because, truthfully, we just might get discouraged and stop. Surely no one can do this. But he says, look at these who are following the example. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3. Recently, Pastor Eric has spoken on the Pirke Avot. What was handed to Moses was handed to whom? Joshua. What was handed to Joshua was then handed to... The elders. What was handed to the elders was then handed to the whole group of people. There is a process for handing this down. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says this, For what I received, I passed on to you. As of first importance. (laughs) I, I I am obviously a dad. I love being a dad. I have great kiddos. I have a, I have a wonderful family that I just feel so blessed to have. Uh, one of my favorite movies is um, The Incredibles. Sorry, I got kids. 
I've seen it about 472 times. <laughs> I, I, I know the beginning soundtrack when you hit play, and it's just on the loop waiting for you to hit pause, and it does that 17-second clip of music or however long it is, permanently ingrained in my brain. I could sing it for you now if I could sing all the multiphonics that are going on. I love this show. I, I just think it's, I think it's got some neat things. Shows the overweight dad who is super strong. The eyes of the kid, right? Shows a mom who feels stretched in a thousand different directions. Right? Shows the teenage girl that wishes she could be invisible. Shows the little hyperactive boy. <laughs> Shows the baby that seems to change. One time it's a little angel. A little demon. A lead weight. It's on fire. Right? I think it's brilliant. I think the writing behind it is so indicative of what we... Re- it's like, oh, you guys did a good job of capturing the essence of humanity. You, you catch it from a kid's point of view. I mean, who's stronger than a dad, right? Nobody. He's a superhero. Oh, that's really neat. One of the concepts in the movie is that the bad guy is trying to make it, the, the line in it. It's, 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 in, it's etched in my brain, the concept. I don't know if I'll get it word for word, but it's, uh, he's trying to make everyone super. Because his comment is, if I make everyone super, then, then no one is. If, if I can get everybody at, at the same level here, if I can keep everything feeling that it's the same importance, if I make everything important, then you know what's important? Nothing. <laughs> Here is the entire Word of God. Go do it. Ah! Yes. Amen. But you know what, you know what Paul says here? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. You know what we do as a church? You know what we do as pastors? You know what a word of encouragement, a word of prophecy does for somebody? It says, hey, out of all the things that you could be considering right now, you should consider this. Oh, thank you for the clarity. There are lots of things that I might do, but if you're saying, now I feel like today is one of those days, church. All I'm saying is, hey guys, all of us, everyone in the room, from young to old, we're all going to consider this of first importance today, of how we actually are following, whether we're following at a distance or we're following close enough to the Lord. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Huh, I think He's already said that. Maybe He's trying to call our attention to it. And that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than five hundred. Oh, this thing is supposed to continually be growing. There's a remnant that gets it. And then that remnant brings it out to a larger group. And then to a larger group. Amen. Until the whole world is reached. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Let's see it in a little bit more, um, a little bit more veiled approach. But it's the exact same concept. Matthew 14. I got this scripture. And this passage, as I was reading through the titles and I thought about Talmudim and the door. I think that was in November of last year. I think. November 22nd. As I was thinking through, I went, oh, and I remember studying that after. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, it says this. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. 
Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, it's, it's dark outside. Yes, thank you. Send the crowds away so that we, they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Don't you hate that when it backfires on you? You're trying to tell the Lord some bit of information that clearly he's forgotten. Obviously, he hasn't forgotten it, but we just want to remind. We feel better when we remind the Lord of things, don't we? Lord, I just want to let you know <laughs> we don't have enough money and the bills are coming due. <laughs> just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> you might want to do something anytime soon. <laughs> I'm dying over here. This guy dying. Thanks, Captain Obvious. We appreciate that. Jesus says this. Hey, they don't need to go away. You don't always need the relief that you think you need. You give them something to eat. Wait, this has turned now into it's a more of a requirement for us. How is that working? Lord, but I needed something from you. Yes, and this is what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> yeah, no, this is exactly how it works. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. We don't have enough to do what you're telling us to do. Yes, I know these things. Bring them here to me. We give what we have to the Lord. We bring it all. As small as it may be. As insignificant as it may feel. And he said, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, gave thanks, broke the loaves. And then what did he do? He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. We get it. And Jesus gives it to us. We give it to the people. There's a transmission that has to continually happen. John 13. <clears throat> I could take a lot more time on each of these, but I, I feel like we've, we've spent some time on it. This should be very, very familiar to you. John 13, 15. Uh, let's go with 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's, one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The Lord moves in our life. He enables us to move in others. Turn the page over to John 15, verse 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Hey, guys. Uh... These are in red letters, aren't they? Amen. They are in red letters in my Bible. Amen. Get it. <laughs> They're red letters. He's saying, I will make, I'm making everything known to you that my Father has revealed to you, to, to Him. Jesus has this been revealed to Him, and he, what does He do? He just turns and reveals it to us. So back in Joshua, when it's saying, hey, Keep an eye on the ark and keep an eye on the leaders here, on your priest, who are the Levites. Let's go, let's go back to, to, to Joshua. I want to get, get to the next thing here. Verse 2, After three days the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are the Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. You are to move out from your positions. 
You are to move out from your positions. Pastor, we, we heard you say that. Yes, I know. Some of us have positions that God is trying to unwrench us from. He's trying to move us out from our positions in the right order. We look at the Word of God. We watch His people consider their outcome of their way of life. And then He's saying there are things inside of us. Um, When I was 16 years old, I was at a church camp. Um, I was one of the leaders there, which is crazy at 16. Um, a gentleman who is full of, the, full of the Lord prophesied over me in a leaders' meeting and said that God had called me into a fivefold ministry. I was 16. My immediate thought was, cool, I know what I'm not doing. I'm not going to college. I'm going to go off and I'm going to, I'll, I'll go to Bible college. And I'll, man, Lord, I hear your word. I will go do it right now. You know what the Lord spoke to me? Didn't you just get an acceptance letter from the college you were wanting to go to? Yeah, I did. That was great. I'll give it all up. I'll give it up for you. Give up all that hard work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, didn't you just receive a, a, a scholarship to that same university? Yeah, I'll give it up. And there are times that he requires to, us to give up everything we have. It is a uh, average thing in our church. It's not average, but it's not unusual for people in our church to sell houses and sell whatever we have to be able to move and be a part of this church. That is a very uh, normal thing <laughs> for us anyway. I was, ready to give all, I was ready to give it all up. And you know what God said? This is, the tool that I'm, this is one of the tools that I'm going to use to shape you. Amen. Why are you trying to run away from the tool that I have for you? Oh, but, but, but I'm ready. I'll go to Bible college. He said, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go where I put you. Amen. For Wade Sutherland, it was Louisiana State University. It's a secular university. Yep, sure is. Number one party school in America at the time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Join with 100,000 of my friends on Saturday night at the football game. And you know what? It was the best place in the world for me. It was exactly where I was supposed to be. I was learning exactly what I was supposed to learn. Well, okay, well, I get done with college, and surely now, Lord, I mean, you spoke to me a whole, like, four years ago when I was 16. Surely now I'm supposed to go out and and conquer all of Christendom and be a pastor of your people. God said, I want you to go to a little small school. with a. I want you to go be a band director. Not even cool enough to teach, you know, like, like Ella and be a math teacher or something. I wasn't even cool enough to do that. I was just a band director. <laughs> Once you go to a band director, and I'm going to give you, from 7th through 12th grade, I'm giving you 33 kids. And by the way, they're bad. <laughs> I got offered jobs in Tennessee and in Texas, over in, in, in Humble, Texas. Humble, Texas. I don't, I don't know if you're the H is silent. I get all confused, right? I, I got offered other jobs at big programs. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to go take Parkview Baptist School. My pastor at the time told me that I was completely selling out my spirit-filled heritage because I was going to go work at Parkview Baptist School. 
I was like, Lord, I don't want to give up my spirit-filled heritage, but I know that you've spoken to my heart to go do this. Um, in the band of 33 kids from 7th through 12th grade, there were 17 drummers out of 33 kids. Um, yeah, I cannot express how bad that is. <laughs> and another six saxophone players. So 23 out of the 33 either played drums or saxophone. Uh, we were in a small room. It'd be like if we were in this, uh, the, the old sanctuary here, the kids' space, where the ceilings were very low, and I literally started just putting earplugs in because it was so loud in there I couldn't hear. I could hear. Uh, I couldn't distinguish anything. It'd be like having a football team. You walk into, if you're a football coach, walking in and somebody's saying, hey, we have 20 running backs and two linemen. Who does this? <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? Who, who just lets them pick whatever they want? Did nobody have any suits? Man, how, you know what the Lord did at Parkview for me? He formed me. He taught me more things than I can even account for. He taught me what it was like to build something from nothing. He taught me what it was like to have to learn how to discern how to teach a 6th grader and a 12th grader in the same room. You know what that did for me? The best thing ever. It was the best thing for me. I stayed as a teacher there for 8 years. I started a marching band. We split middle school and high school. We started having multiple ensembles within each of those grades. We started from 33, and by the time I got done teaching, we had about 170 people in the band. I'm not saying that because I'm... Who cares? I'm saying that the Lord did some things in me through that process. I was ready to drop it in a heartbeat, and God said, you be where I've put you. Moved into administration, did different things. You know what? God called me into the ministry when I was 16 years old. You know when the first time that I was actually a full-time pastor? Was when I was 35. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for 20 years. I actually worked at Parkview for 14 years. Or I worked in education for 14. I thought 14 was an interesting number. I know the, the Vincent shared some similar timelines in that going, Huh, all right, Lord. 14 years being in the workforce, trying to be excellent at everything that I put my hand to, trying to understand watching kids get filled with the Spirit. One day in the band class, right before a Thanksgiving, we were still sharing the facilities. They eventually built us a band room, a band hall, and we got to do all that. But the, uh, the choir was also in there. So they met in the morning and the band met in the afternoon because there wasn't enough big enough space. They took prayer requests at the beginning. The Holy Spirit fell in the room. They never got to sing in a thing. They just prayed, and God's Spirit was sovereign in that moment. It wrapped up very gently, very nicely. Ring! The bell rings. They all get up very somberly and walk out. And myself, along with the choir director, we were like, Hey, Lord, do it again. <laughs> Second period, they walk in. They all just sit down and they're really, really quiet. 
Amen. We're going to pray today. Yeah, I've got... <sighs> Holy Spirit fell again. It wraps up. The bell rings. They go on to their next class. This happened all day Amen. to every class. Huh. I was a band director with a terrible band. It's almost like the Lord can use anything that we're involved in if we will just let him do it. Some of us are looking at our jobs as if it's opposite, as if it's opposed to God's forming something in us. Let me encourage you. Your job is probably the tool that God is going to use to work things out in you. Why are you trying to fight the job that you're at? You're thinking about, look, if I can quit this job and go do this over here, boy, that would make everything better. How about you just stop for a minute? That's a good word, Pastor. I'm just going to let it sit because I feel the Lord stirring some things in our spirits, right? You're fighting it. Stop fighting it. Did God give you the job or not? then I say this with all the love that's within me. Shut up about leaving. (laughs) Pastor Eric said, I couldn't hear you. You need to be quiet about your leaving this job that you're at. But I'm miserable. Amen. Shut up. But, But you don't understand. It's not about me understanding anything. It's, it's really not. Um, hey, guys, I'm back in a job as well. You know what my heart is? My heart is to give every second to this church. Amen. Every second of my life to serving you. But you know what I'm going to do in the meantime until God says something different? He's given me this job. I've been promoted once. They want to promote me to be over the entire region. I figure that I'll just be faithful in what I'm doing until my Heavenly Father says, it's time. I will be, there will not be any uh, moss growing under my feet when that time comes. (laughs) My letter of resignation will be tendered effective immediately. There will not be any uh, heart problems. I'll be, amen, done, see y'all. Here's the phone. (laughs) Here, here's my name tag, gone. But until then, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be faithful. Yes. I'm going to be faithful because God is trying to move me from my position. What position are you talking about? You know what the problem is? I don't always know what position I need to be moved from. Because I think that I'm correct about it. And He has to use the situation. But Lord, I want to just bless your people. Amen. He knows that. But you know what's being formed in me while I'm working a full-time job? He's working things out in me that nothing that can't be worked out except for the pressure of having the job. <laughs> except for the fact, well, God, this and this and this is not great. Amen. Wow, you get to show godly character in the midst of all of these things. Huh. You get to have a depth of understanding that comes from experience that you can't have any other way. We all want to take the shortcuts. If you see somebody and it looks like that they've risen to some position of authority in Christ, I can assure you one of two things. 
if they did it correctly, they did not skip any phase that you and I have to go through. I don't care if they got there quicker than you. I don't, care if they're, I don't care if they're 18 and doing something I can't do yet as 41. You know what it means? God, I guess you started with them really early. But I know what they had to do. They have to go through the same things that we did. They had to leave their positions. They had to look out and watch for the ark of God. They had to follow the Levites, the priests. They had to move from their own positions into what God has for them to do. And maybe God, the tool to correct them is the church. I saw 20-year-olds getting hired on at churches. I'm like... Say, bro. Say, bro. Say, man. You know what God did that in me? Why are you worried about that? Ugh. I'm still worried about it, aren't I? Hey, God, why are they getting blessed and I'm not? Yep, there's your problem. You're worried about them. <laughs> you got your problem right there. That's what your problem is. Maybe God is working things out in you where you will quit being jealous of the people around you. Wow. Well, God, why are they blessed? Are you not able to celebrate with your brother when they're blessed? You think God has one, piece, one pie that if He cuts a slice out for them, then therefore it has to be by definition that you have less? So if they get something, it's got to mean that I'm going to get less of something else. How about you move from your position of immaturity and move on to maturity in this. I have a heavenly Father who is not limited in any way. He will give this spirit without limit. He will give His gifts without limit. Why don't I think that He can take care of them and, crazy enough, take care of me? Oh, it's because I'm actually more arrogant and conceited than I think that I am. But I'm blaming it on a lot of other things. You know what else we do? While I'm at it. Come on, we go. Fix it all. <laughs> Let's talk about fear for a second. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right, because we all got it, right? What about the position of fear that you need to move off of? Here's, here's one of the problems with fear. Fear makes it think like, makes you think that you're actually just being logical. Fear causes you to be, I mean, I'm just being reasonable about this. If Hebrews 11 says that without faith it is impossible to please God, any decision that you make based in fear, I say that intentionally, any decision, every decision, without fail, every single one, if you are making a decision based on fear of what will happen, you cannot and will not please God. Even if the actual technical thing that you're doing is correct. Maybe the technical part of this is correct, but your spirit is completely fearful about it. You think God's going to bless that in you? Nope. He cannot. He's already promised that He won't. Lord, I am fearful of this. I talked to a pastor this week from Pensacola. Brother, I'm trying to sell property. And I think it'll get the church out of a bind and, and it'll put us on great footing going forward. Amen. Brother, I think you're making this decision out of fear. Stop it. I think you're afraid that this thing isn't going to sell and you just need to stand still and see that God is God. And he went, Amen, that's right. I'm being completely fearful. Thank you. He's a, he's a godly man. Amen. He just said, Thank you, brother. You're absolutely correct. I won't do that. And whew, 
I wish they were all that easy. (laughs) How about the positions that you have of fear in your life? Part of that sounding logical about fear is, and I hope that I can explain this to you, what I've noticed in the past two weeks with people that I've been talking to is this. Fear causes us to, to, to be afraid of what's down the road. Well, I mean, if we do this right now, you know, I mean, the logical outcome is disaster. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that this decision is disaster? <laughs> no, I mean, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if this happens, then this could happen, and this could happen, and then now we're, we're oh, we're on fire. <laughs> We've crashed and burned. Because we're going to trust God with our tithe and our offering today? Total destruction! I'm making fun of, of fear. Amen. It's not very funny, though, in your life, is it? No. I'm using one example. What, what is it in your life that you're going, hey, if we do this now, ah! can we do the video real quick? Let's just, this is a 10 second clip. Just excuse me. What's the matter? Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. It's not a tumor. <laughs> Fear does exactly what that kid does to you. Man, I got a headache. It might be a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. I want to encourage you with this. Some of the things that you've been dreading, it's not a tumor. Amen. It's not what your fear bolsters it up to be in your life. That's true. You're afraid if you really give yourself to a church like this, then the outcome is going to be something that you don't actually want or wouldn't be happy with. If I really make a commitment... If I really go all in, I mean, I know a lot of people are all in, but if I really go all in, what's really going to happen is this is going to happen and I'm going to lose my friends and then things are going to get weird and I'll be one of those weird people and I'll be all by myself and I'll be all alone. Even though all the evidence to the contrary, there's only evidence to the contrary, there's never been a church that I've been a part of who is more like a family to me. There's never been a church that I've had, that I've ever been a part of, that encouraged me more to be like Christ. There's never been more fellowship that I've ever had with anybody in my life than this church. Ever. Like in a week's amount of time. (laughs) So what are you allowing fear to put you in a position of? that God is trying to move you away from that position. I am not trying to steer towards any specific thing, and I know that by the Spirit of God, I know that what I'm saying is right. right. I'm not being arrogant. I just know, I can sense in me that God is, is approving of this, and there's too many fears, there's too many positions that we're holding on to, claiming to be wise, claiming to be intelligent, claiming to be all those things, and they're all based in fear, And because they're fear, God cannot, God cannot and will not be happy with you when you do those things. If God's presence is here in this church, 
if the people, if we look at our leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life and see people who are not just believers, but they're becoming ministers for the gospel, maybe you're looking at it and going, well, I'm not going to be a minister. You're going to be a part of this family. Amen. Truth is, I don't need you to be a minister. If God's called you, you are. If he hasn't called you, I love you. I'm a pastor. You're a sheep. I don't care what, you're, what you are. I care that you're here. I care that you're one of us. I want to imitate the good shepherd, and I want to be willing to lay my life down for you. I don't need a title for you. I don't need you to show me in Ephesians 4 what you think you're called to do. Be here. But if you're going to be here, be here. If you're going to do and be a part of this group, they, well, look, we're too serious for you not to really be here. That's true. If you're going to be here, put the fear down. Step away from your position of fear. Step away. Move out. Move away from it. Didn't know all this stuff was in Joshua 3, did you? <laughs> Move out of your position so that God can be honored in your life. <clears throat> Joshua, chapter 3, verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are the Levites carrying it. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. You have to move out from your positions and follow it. How do you follow it? Verse 4. Then you will know which way to go. Boy, don't you just love scriptures like this? How simple and plain is this? Are you, are you confused about a certain way you should go in a certain part of your life? I've just given you the key to unlock that. I've given you the exact path. Because verse 4 says, then you will know which way to go. Once you have your eyes fixed on a standard, once you're seeing the people who are your leaders that God put over you, once you are moving out from your own position and you're leaving the positions that you are currently in, not abandoning your post, but leaving your position. God has called you to a job, then be at the job. What I'm not saying is to leave your job. I think I said the opposite of that. We're going to stay on our post, but we're going to leave our positions, the things that we're holding to that really don't cause us to be all in, and then we're going to follow. Then we will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. You know what I used to think when I was younger? I thought that the older I get, the easier decisions would be to make. How silly of me. The issues are more complicated now. It's not as easy as... Well, that's good and that's bad. I will choose good. Well, that would be fun if every one of our decisions were that way, wouldn't it be? This is godly, this is not godly. Well, I choose this. What if it's the difference between... I, let's just say, I've never had a 15-year-old son. I've never had a 13-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old daughter before. I've never had two kids that just came with me to Africa and got back. And now what am I supposed to do with them now? How do I keep encouraging? They've seen miracles. They've laid hands on people and watched them feel the Spirit. Wow. Lord, how, how do I keep encouraging that as a parent? But how, I don't know. I haven't been this way before, but you know what I know? I'm going to keep my eyes on his standard. I'm going to watch the, the leadership that he has over me. I'm going to ask God to remove me from any positions that I'm holding on to that aren't his will. And he's going to show me that even though I've never been this way, he's going to show me exactly the way to walk. Amen. You know why? Because he's done that my entire life. 
Parkview Baptist was exactly God's plan for me. Louisiana State University, exactly God's plan for me. You know how I know that? Because he told me. And all I do is go, I don't need to know the whole plan. You just tell me what to do next and I'll do it. Just show me what to do, Lord. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. This is interesting to me. Keep a distance. If you ever get uh, caught up in traffic, it's Houston. (laughs) We all get caught up in traffic, right? Just how much traffic is the question. Follow behind a big truck. If you're following too close, really, you don't really know anything that's going on. You don't know when the light changes color. You don't know when trouble is up ahead. You don't know anything because sometimes you're just following too close. It's eager. You're in a hurry. You're impatient. But you're just following too close. It's interesting that the Lord actually gives some space and says, would you give, would you give it just a little space? You know why? Because I want all of my people to be able to see the direction. If we're all too close, then what happens? Some of you guys can see it, but back here, you kind of lose the perspective. Here's the standard, ladies and gentlemen. As pastors, we are doing our all to say this is a standard. Hey, even if I don't get it right, it's still the standard. Don't, don't, blame, this, don't blame me on the standard. The standard is here. Everyone, every one of you, come up. You know why? Sometimes God puts some distance between some things. Sometimes God puts a little time. You tired of waiting? Perhaps it's God saying, here's about a thousand yards that I need to put between you and what my will is. You know why? Because you need it. And all of my people need it. There needs to be a little space. Well, why isn't God answering me now? Because he doesn't have to. (laughs) He owes us nothing. And he's actually still doing it for our good. Would, would Would you let me work this out? Your character is a, you think you want this, and if I gave it to you now, it would destroy your life. You think if I let you out of this pressure right now that you would be better? And the truth is, is you would be incomplete, immature. I would pull you out of the oven before you're completely baked. And it would be a failure. So just, I'm going to put you where I'm going to put you. Many people in our realms of of our types of churches, they they feel the pressure, they feel that it's taking too long, and they run away and they blame it on God. That's true. Well, God told me to... We want nothing but God to speak to you here. We want nothing for His presence to envelop you. But you know what I know about Him? He's not going to do it on your timetable. It's always going to feel like it's too far back. Why was it 2,000 cubits? Why was it 1,000 yards? Why was it like this? (laughs) Because the people needed it to be that way. We don't have a distant heart. We're not turning our heart. We're not running the opposite direction. But there's also a proper way that God instructs us to follow His will. Whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's what you're doing here at this church, it's important for us to follow Him. One last passage, I think. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I long since left my notes, so we'll see how this ends. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. (laughs) 
Yeah, let's, let's go to verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10. Are you there? There. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. This is definitely not someone who is far removed from the people that he's speaking to. This is how you talk to family. Say, man, you know all about me. You know where I come from. You know my crazy family. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them, including the crazy family. (laughs) Verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's going to be some distance that has to be built into this thing. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse. Wow. Deceiving and being deceived. These jokers just have deception all over them whether they're the ones giving it or they're the ones receiving it or both. But as for you, continue. Everybody say continue. Continue. In what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you learned it, you know us. This is the model. This is the standard. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Wow. I think of AJ from infancy. She knows the Scriptures. That's going to just be so such a natural part. Joshua. I mean, I'm just thinking about the babies in this church. They're going to know it from infancy. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, scripture. is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be thoroughly equipped Here's something that that hit me this morning. I was my heart was focused on Joshua three, and as I read, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, I realized that it was teaching. In some of the translations, it says it's good for doctrine. It's good for us keeping our eyes on His standard. Rebuking. We're supposed to keep an eye on our leaders who can help. Who can help? The idea for rebuking here, by the way, it's reproof is an older translation, right? It means not only that you send, it's not only that something is sent, but that it's received on the other end. It's not only that a fault is being pointed out, but someone says, yes, you're right. Like my friend the other day who said, I said, brother, I think you're operating in fear. I don't care whether you drop the price on your land or not. The decision you are making right now is that you are doing it in fear. He was properly rebuked because the rebuking comes on both ends of it. I said it and he received it. Wow. That's actually what the word is trying to, trying to in, in, incorporate there. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. That is us leaving our positions, isn't it? When God corrects us, we have to leave those positions. And then training in righteousness is us following at the proper distance. I went, Lord, look at your word. You just see it over and over and over again. Let's do this. I'm going to ask Pastor Matt to come up, worship team to come up. Here's the standard. Come up to it. Here's the standard. Come up to it. Here's the standard. Come up to it.
Yes, you've heard that. Now that we're in a position where that should be... We'll, we'll keep saying it, by the way, <laughs> because we all need to hear it constantly because there's a pressure from this world to cause us to fall away from the standard. Uh, I was thinking about Pastor Eric's last sermon and the mental picture that I got was a, an escalator. It's a down escalator, but I'm trying to stand and go up. Okay? So I have to keep some type of pace just not to lose ground. If I stop, what happens? I just go down. That, that was part of this. We've got to figure out how we keep stepping forward because there's a pressure to push us down away from the standard. That is the pressure. It's there. It's, that's the conveyor belt of this world that we're on. But today I want us to focus on this in our, in our closing time here. What positions do you have in your life that you're holding on to, that God is revealing to you. I felt Him talking to some of you. Amen. I think some of you are confused about your jobs. I think you're confused about direction in your life. I think you have roadblocks to actually being fully on board here as a church. I say this, it would be easier for me not to say what I just said. But I actually love you. And I actually care that everyone in the room fulfills their purpose in Christ. It's not acceptable. Who am I going to leave out? <laughs> Which one of your kids are you going to leave out, right? right. I'm not, I can't do that. Some of you are questioning about really fully being involved. You're involved at whatever level you think and you happen to be comfortable with but you're holding on to positions of fear and God's saying, it's time to let those go. Some of you may even have that in your own relationship with the Lord. You're holding on to tradition. Am I against tradition? No, but if it's keeping you from God, then I'm absolutely against tradition. What do I want to have that separates you from Christ's will in your life? There's nothing that's worth that. We're going to worship the Lord. We, ha- we still have some things spiritually that we need to get right today as a body. As we worship, I encourage you to get your heart right. I encourage you to lay down fears. I encourage you to allow God to move you from your position. Our time in prison this morning was prisoners getting prayed for and then turning and praying for others. Is that correct? That was our experience in Africa. People getting filled with the Spirit and turning and praying for others and watching them get filled with the Spirit and then everyone prophesying. Why is it important that you get where you need to today? For you, might be a matter of life and death. For this body, it's probably another one who can stand with us and say, come on, let's all pull each other up to this standard. But come on, I need, I need Larissa's help in this. It can't just be me. It can't just be the pastors or the elders. I need, I need, we need people to help and we can pull all of us up to this standard. Would you stand with me?